0: When you know what you want for the future? You need the present to line up with your goals. UCF Online offers more than 100 fully online programs in healthcare, engineering, criminal justice, and more, so you can get to your future and beyond. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How are things? Yeah, things are good. You know, I always I always get kind of thoughtful when you ask me that question. You know, some things are better than others, but you know, generally speaking, they're all good. Things are good. Yeah. And you know, it's it's funny too. It's
1: one of those things. We've talked about this before, I think. It's like, it's not a great question to ask people because if things aren't so good, you really don't have time to actually have a deep supportive
0: empathetic conversation so there are better questions you can ask or you do and the rest of it goes away that happened to me not long ago we had an event faculty member came said hey uh do you have a minute i said sure and uh people were leaving you know and and sat down and and he revealed a number of very personal tragedies that had befallen him in the in the interim since I had last seen him in person. And I said, well, my goodness, you're doing well just to be here and thank you for trusting me with that. And, and the, you know, the, you know, they turned the lights off, everybody was gone, but I, I'm like, I am not walking away from this guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So sometimes, you know, that's a thing.
1: Yeah, it is. So um, I'm glad things are good, <laughs> at least mostly uh, <laughs> in yeah. this context, yeah. I can't complain.
0: Yeah. Right. Well,
1: um, so, uh, I guess maybe the next question is, how's, how's your coffee, which I see you drinking there? Excellent. How's yours? It's excellent. I'm enjoying my—this is my second cup
0: today. Oh, I won't tell anybody. I yes. uh, won't tell anybody. But we are not drinking uh, from the same communal cup today. Um, my coffee is thematically selected as I am remote uh, from the office. Would you like to try to make a connection to your cup, Tom? Um, probably not.
1: mine is a donut shop brand decaf <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty standard uh, you know plain generic coffee.
0: It's good. well, I like mm-hmm. it that's good. Well, I can say this uh, my coffee is neither plain nor generic um, so it is filled with nuance and 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 context okay uh, so, so <laughs> Lay it on I me. will I will tell you, uh, I don't know that you're going to find any kind of a connection, but I liked the coffee, so here it is. So this is, uh, in my cup, Tom, a single-origin Ethiopia from Brandywine Coffee Roasters in Wilmington, Delaware. And this was a special uh, small-batch roast, which I, I get sometime through a provider, and it was packaged up for Halloween in association with fellow coffee products. And so they call it so that's important to know, the backstory, because they called this, this is fellowween, fellowween, this is fellowween, uh, with special packaging in the, the the coffee bag, artwork, spooky descriptions for everything in the coffee, like for instance, frightening notes of cherry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A spectral was in there and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, hey, as our listeners are listening to this, Halloween's behind us, but I, as I stared into the darkness of my cup of coffee, Tom, I could find a connection to today's topic, and I'm hoping you can, too. Uh,
1: frightening notes of cherry. I guess there's nothing more frightening than cherry. Oh, my gosh. It's one of my favorite flavors. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, Kelvin, other than the fact that it's this, that time of year, and <laughs> we are
0: recording in, in the uh, season of Halloween. I don't know. Well, Tom, uh, I'll try uh, to express what I was thinking with this um, uh, sort of gratuitously chosen thematic coffee. So, it seems to me that Halloween is one of those seasons where we're Brought together with like two contrasting perspectives, we can either be overwhelmed by the scary. Oh no! Don't want to. Don't want to think about Halloween. Too scary. Nope. Negative. Dark. Or we can kind of lean into the fun of facing a challenge head on. Like one of our family's favorite movies this time of year is Disney Channel's *Girl vs Monster*. Or you know, there's the classic *Beetlejuice*, which is you know silly and fun. Or even uh, maybe the 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 really old classic *Abbott and Costello Meet* insert name of universal monster here because they met everybody, apparently. Yeah. So sometimes, right, there are, there are scary challenges we face in life, including in digital education. And I think we'll be talking about some of those today. So we can be overwhelmed by them or we can face them head on and have some fun doing it. So that's my attempt at a okay. connection to This Is Halloween.
1: <clears throat> All right, I get it. Um, and. Um, I think I think that works and I and I think that would work for our, our guest as as well <laughs> if I asked her um that question in, in the interview. So yeah, I think I think that works. So Kelvin, do you wanna kinda of set up uh who we uh have as our guest today?
0: Sure thing. So Tom not too awfully long ago, maybe longer than we would have liked, you interviewed Dr. Jocelyn Widmer. Dr. Widmer is Assistant Provost for Academic Innovation at Texas A&M University. And prior to Texas A&M, she held faculty and administrative positions at the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, the University of Florida, Virginia Tech University. And I was fascinated by this, I didn't know this. Um, Dr. Widmer has wide-ranging academic interests and holds degrees in Urban and regional planning, public health, landscape architecture, art history, and English.
1: Wow! wow. She is a Renaissance woman. I knew about urban planning, um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know if I knew all of that other stuff. But I am not surprised at all knowing Jocelyn. Um, so um, you know, maybe the only thing I'd, I'd say about about the interview is that um, we we had a kind of a real focus on kind of administrative. Um, kind of leadership kinds of topics. So, um, I, I got personally a lot out of our conversations every time I talk to Jocelyn, um, I, I do. So, I think that um, when you listen to it, sort of listen to it through that lens. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, through the technological marvel that is modern podcast time travel, here is your interview with Jocelyn Woodman. Jocelyn,
1: thank you so much for being on TOPcast.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tom.
1: So one of the things we talked about kind of in preparation for this conversation uh, were the conversations you've been having with chief online learning officers at various institutions and, and kind of your own little uh, listening tour. And, you know, I give you a lot of credit. Um, you, you're always learning and you're always, you know, seeking to, to share what you've learned. Um, and, and I thought that, that it might be really useful for the TopCast listening audience to kind of learn a little bit about what you've learned through that process. So, maybe the first question is kind of like, are there any particular lessons, leadership lessons or, you know, lessons learned um, from those conversations with, with COLOs, Chief Online Learning Officers?
2: Sure. That that's a great kickoff. So I started to do this um, sometime this past spring. So as you know, we transitioned um, to a new learning management system and kind of got everything wrapped up. I would say once we launched the spring twenty two spring twenty twenty two semester, and of course, um, you know, we were supporting kind of. Um, uh, fringe cases for remote instruction. So it was kind of the first opportunity to take a breath and figure out where are we heading next? And so it occurred to me, you know, just looking at LinkedIn, talking to a couple different people that we were all sort of at that same place. I mean, certainly before COVID, the, the narrative around my role and really why it was put in place at a was we're so behind. And so I took the opportunity now that we had really overhauled the digital learning environment to figure out now where do we head? I mean, COVID, as um, one of the individuals that I have spoken to, kind of called it the great equalizer for all of us. And, and she said it really leveled the playing field in terms of what we were all doing because we all struggled with different pieces of our digital learning environment, of our uh, program implementation, what recruitment and enrollment look like. Um, so, and then of course whatever we were dealing with with our individual institutions. So, um, the spring of, of this this year became an opportunity to just kind of hit pause, and figure out where we headed next, and strategically be able to align some of those pieces um, with Texas A and M and the strategic vision of a, of a, a really a new leadership that, that had taken place. So. Um, well, the individuals that I have sought out are really focused on scale. I mean, like yourself. I mean, I, I, as much as I love sideways examples, scale was what I was really after because we can't do much at a and if we're not doing it at scale. And as you know, um, even you know small numbers and pilot projects can be quite big. So just having that group of people that I could bounce ideas off of who are constantly thinking at scale was something that I didn't realize, you know, just kind of became people's North Star in in this uh, collection of us that deal with really large uh, institutions. Um, so, So scale was, you know, obviously one piece of it. The other piece I was really interested in was understanding, was my particular unit structured correctly? (laughs) And I don't think there's a correct way to to structure a unit. And I I probably spent three years trying to say, you know, it's just not right. How do I make it right? And then that magical moment, things will just fall into place. And what I learned specifically from talking with you and, and others who have been in their roles much longer or at similar roles at previous institutions much longer was it's an additive approach and you just kind of, I mean, there's some things you inherit, there are some things that you want and they're not part of your portfolio. And there are some things that you're constantly trying to figure out where they fit <laughs> that you have. And so I think it's about what what I've learned in, in making the rounds is telling that story of why you have the pieces organizationally in your unit. And then particularly the next step is who you can partner with because you have those pieces. Um, and then the other piece, I mean, I think we all support little a, a little bit of a different portfolio. Probably yours and mine are pretty close. Um, I've talked to others who they have more of the back-end IT as part of their portfolio. And so obviously, you know, just some of those differences drive agendas and strategy. Um, but we've all been dealing with staffing issues. And so that's been really helpful. I mean, that's that was kind of... You know, just at the crux of where I felt like I was stuck this past spring. And how was I going to staff up? <laughs> and how was I going to continue to deal with the Great Resignation? I lost um, 13 people over a nine-month period from 6 one um to kind of mid-spring. And so, you know, I don't want to take your people. I don't want to take anybody's people. So it's like, where do we go <laughs> to find the talents? And um, so that was a big piece that I was asking where people are finding talent, but then also what are they doing to retain the talent? And, you know, particularly focused on if remote work is not an option, what else is on the table? So those I would say that kind of summarizes what some of the discussions have been at a high level.
1: Wow. Um, I can relate so (laughs) much uh, to so much of that, you know, Um, and For the record, I don't want you taking our people either, (laughs) Um, but I relate. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we've had 13 people, but we've had more than we should uh, who have left um, for various opportunities, and I would say I think all of them, with one exception, have been to industry, not to other institutions of higher learning. So, yeah, I think it's something we're all kind of dealing with right now. Kelvin and I have done episodes on that, um, Mm -hmm. that topic uh, of the Great Resignation. Um, so yeah that's that's fascinating, and so you really were focused on scale, which makes sense. I think A mm-hmm. and UCF compete annually to see who's actually bigger than the other. Uh, I think you you have the edge right now, but not not by a lot. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're both large and so I, I get it. So do you think anything that you that you've you've learned, you know maybe kind of the way units are structured or mm-hmm. the way um, you partner with others internally or externally can be applied to institutions that aren't big R1 public-scale universities, like, you know, a, a small liberal arts college or a community college or something like that.
2: Sure, I, that's a great question. I, you know, I, from time to time, I I've thought, what would I do if I, I went to a very small liberal arts college um, outside of Austin for my undergrad? And so, you know, I just have these moments where I'm like, what would I have done if I were in this role, at a place with just very different resources and and priorities? And um, so, th- I mean, that that's tough because I, I sit in a in the role and I just constantly think about if I can't do it one way, I can come up with another way because I, I have such an expansive institution to draw from. Um, so I think one of the pieces, just to kind of an interviewing individuals who have come from some of these institutions, I may have done a lot of interviewing. I probably should have counted how many Zoom interviews I've done in the last year. I, I would say at least 100. Um, I think the institutions like that are really leveraging um, faculty. And that's something that I mean, governance is another question that I'm constantly asking leaders. How, how can I do it better? I mean, it's something that I think we, we always hear when we're not doing it well. We don't necessarily hear when we're doing it okay at our institutions. So I'm constantly looking for new ideas um, with respect to governance. So I think that's a translation at, at a smaller place is leveraging Governance committees. We've done some some things through pilots um, with, with th- through our um, faculty senate executive committee, for instance, and they've been tr- tremendous partners. Um, the other piece that I'm constantly reminded of, and you know, we all have uh, pools of student workers, student technicians. I mean, I think that's such an important talent pipeline at any institution, and I'm constantly thinking about what more do I need to do in my role to, to bring up the next generation? Because we're going to have a talent block on the pipeline if we don't excite people and just explain, you know, what it is that we do. And um, one quick example of that. So we we do a lot of touring through our new innovative learning classroom building. We had a group of prospective students come in from San Antonio and, uh, you know, I was just reminded, I they, they kind of were like, who are you, why are we meeting with you? And I'm, I've got some shiny technology to show them. And um, they started taking pictures after I said, we're the office that supports Canvas because they were using Canvas. And so it was just like this aha moment of, there's such a, uh, there's such continuity that exists, you know, if, if we're thinking about that next gen um, and, and leveraging just the experience that so many individuals have had in the K through 12 space in digital education. And often they like, they get it before I have time to explain it. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of a, I think probably a sideways answer. I, I mean, I think there are tremendous challenges fa- facing a place that doesn't have some of these resources I would imagine and I you know I think there's so much that we can learn from them because probably often we we use too many resources to solve issues
1: yeah and even between institutions that are similar the contexts uh, and culture um, and you know, yes. organization are all going to be different anyway. So, it's not like anything you can just, like, pick up as a template and put it down someplace else. It just it just doesn't work that way. I think, as, as you sort of implied um, in answering the first question, that, you know, uh, you're not going to find that one right organizational structure. Oh, I just need to do that because <laughs> sure. it's, it needs to be shaped and adjusted for your particular context. And what works at one place may or may not work at another. You know, we all mm-hmm. tend to look west at Arizona State, sure. uh, I guess, unless you're in California <laughs> in, in East. Um, and and what they do. And, and it's pretty amazing. I'm a big admirer of what they do and same with sure. Southern New Hampshire and Western Governors and some of these really innovative places. But we couldn't do it the way they do it for a lottery, mm-hmm. the way they're funded, the way they're structured, you know, all of right. that. It um, just, just means that you have to think a little differently. Now, you can take the pieces that work, right? And, and that's, yeah. that's what you've been doing. So, speaking of pieces that work
0: yeah. or maybe
1: more <laughs> accurate, uh, pieces that don't, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wonder if, um, if, if anybody admitted any mistakes that they made along the way or if you observed any uh, kind of lessons that we can take from, you know, somebody else's misstep.
2: Sure. and this, I'll throw myself in the mix here. Uh, I mean, I think so many of us came into our roles from other institutions. And what we tried to do in our roles was in the context, as you just mentioned, of another in the context and culture of another institution. And so I, I think um, having, it, however, we almost all were given, you know, change it, improve it make it better as quickly as you can. I mean, I think that's, that seems to be what we were all told. And, um, and you, you, when you work quickly, you often don't have an opportunity to really understand, you know, why something is in place. And, and so to tear it apart or to, um, you know, to, to cut it off or, uh, shut down a program or something like that without really understanding the context. I mean, you're going to hear about that for years and years later. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a two-sided issue. We were all given such a, a velocity and a pace at which we were asked to work. And you just can't get to know an institution that quickly. Um, so I think COVID, a number of us were in our roles, I don't know, a, a year or less before COVID. And my mind is blown by those who took roles during COVID <laughs> because I just can't imagine that. Um, but COVID became an opportunity to hit reset, forget some of those things. I mean, we just became, we 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 became necessary in a way that we maybe weren't before. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm speaking broadly here. This is some a summary of, of many people I've talked to. And so it just gave us an opportunity to, you know, hit reset on some of the mistakes we made and, and dig deeper and make improvements um, through the, the high stakes environment of COVID. And I think that started to, you know, change people's minds about what we could do maybe.
1: Yeah, our, our president started in April of 2020.
2: I can't was, imagine. I can't either. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. you know, the other thing, this is, you and I have talked quite a bit about learning technologies. I mean, this is, you know, an issue more in the weeds. I think one place where we've all struggled, we, we wanted to have one strategy before COVID. COVID has had us have a different strategy with learning technologies. And now, what do we do after? <laughs> so that's been a big question I've asked, and um, it's it's been something where I think you know just different approaches and ideas that didn't work maybe necessarily prior to COVID. COVID has has helped put better policy in place behind tools or. Um, better awareness on the fact that these tools cost (laughs) and we need a strategy for for how we're going to think about cost sharing. Are we going to pass these along to students or not? You know, all of those types of things. Um, So that was, you know, something that I've heard a lot. And and I don't think anybody has the answer today. I mean, online proctoring is one that I've specifically asked. I asked you, um, I've asked... uh, Penn State, Arizona State, University of Florida has theirs posted on a website, and so it's you know everybody's doing a little bit differently, and um, yeah. that that's yeah. tough.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it does sort of lead into what what I think maybe would be a good kind of concluding question, which is you know, based on these conversations, have you picked up any hints on what you think is kind of around the corner as we as we hopefully turn the corner on this pandemic and and start you know you know, instantiating some of the lessons learned or expanding some of the things that we were doing already? Um, you know, what, what's coming uh, that we should yeah. be prepared for?
2: Sure. Well, you and I have had uh, really rich conversations about um, immersive experiences and and what's to come with digital twins of universities um, at scale. Uh, and I have had some amazing conversations with our new interim dean of performance, visualization and fine arts at AM, Tim McLaughlin, who's a leader in the field of visualization, about what this could look like at, at a place like A&M that has such a rich tradition of, of teaching excellence in the classroom and you know, and traditions that that surround the campus experience. And so I think, you know, I think we're all questioning. How we continue to offer that and create a, an environment where that exists, but then also know there's student demand for you know what's coming around the corner and, and, and I think immersive technologies are really what's heading next next. I think I mean from my perspective, I, this is you know my opinion. I, I think unfortunately, hybrids going to be something that just gets leapfrogged. I mean, I don't think we collected the data we needed to. From the the high flex experience that, that everybody tried. And I mean, by and large, they was just such, you know, just not people just weren't pumped about it. They didn't like it. And uh, I mean, I think space and technology and size of class, I mean, I think there are a lot of variables that could have been studied and it just kind of was taken as a catch-all. Um, so thinking, you know, about how we Recreate spaces on campus um, in, in virtual environments and immerse students in them. That's where I think things are really headed, and, and we can do that at really small scales. You know, recreate a lab and um, and and use haptics and and see and study and and um, test and replicate. You know, there's all kinds of concerns with student services and what that might look like, and I think there are just different ways of thinking about this than just. The whole university model that, that are such more much more valuable proofs of concepts than getting stuck on can we do academic advising in a, an immersive environment, for instance. Um, so so that piece, but I think we've got to continue to collect the data as we as we try, um, you know, stepping into these these new types of, of learning environments. And then definitely a focus on ensuring faculty faculty know how to teach in them and um, are equipped to teach in them, and students are equipped to learn in them. And I, because I think that was just one of the pieces that that couldn't get enough attention and rigor during the pandemic. Um, and you know, one one thing I'll say, I mean, it kind of links to this, into your previous question about um, you know what what where have we stumbled and where are we headed? I think all of us, everybody I've talked to has that one student who they know they're not reaching currently, and if they could just move their operations and their um, programming and all that they do, and extend it to that one student, then you know there's there's just tremendous value and kind of that that propels momentum forward into the next student that we can continue to reach. So I think there's just a, a true commitment to access that um, immersive environments would afford us. Um, you know, just thinking a little bigger and broader. Than the current inputs that I think we all juggle on a daily basis.
1: Well, you know, <clears throat> bringing it back and grounding it on the student experience and student success is is the right answer, right? And and it's certainly a theme here at uh, TopCast and probably a good place uh, to to wrap it up. So, so Jocelyn, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the on the podcast. Really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely, thank you, Tom.
1: Well, Tom, that was your interview with Dr. Jocelyn Widmer. It was, yeah, and it was, I thought, a really, really great discussion. I think oh, yeah. that she's really thoughtful about, mm-hmm. about her job, but also this industry, the space in, in general. And so I, I always enjoy talking to her.
0: No kidding. And uh, I think we, we got ahead of ourselves before we hit record. Uh, if I understood correctly, listening back to that, right? A hundred or more interviews with colos? Yeah. Yeah, that's a
1: lot. Uh, I'm not sure anybody has had that kind of, you know, scope of, of, of research and mm-hmm, networking mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, uh, picking the brains of people who do this job. Um, I think I think she should probably write a book or something about mm-hmm. what she's learned uh, based on all of those interviews. And, and I think that maybe with the dawn of Zoom, that's helped. Yeah. Um, although, actually, mm-hmm. the last time I spoke to her, except for this podcast, was in person. was at a conference. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I think some of these were in person too. I also see on her LinkedIn profile, she's, she's making the rounds in person also mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Where, where she's meeting some of these folks. I, I think that there's such a wealth of, of information and knowledge that she has captured. I hope that she shares it um, mm-hmm, with the rest mm-hmm. of the world, <laughs> all of
0: her lessons learned. You know what we should do? We should connect further. This would be, this would be a good spinoff. We should connect further Jocelyn with Eric Fredrickson. Wouldn't that be a yeah. dynamic duo uh, in this chief online learning officer work, I bet their lists overlap. Um, yeah. quite uh-huh. a bit. Yeah, yeah that'd that's be an true. interesting that'd be an interesting conversation. I think. Any, yeah. uh Anything stand out to you listening back through that uh, interview again that you want to underscore? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot, probably more than we have time to kind of dig into. But um, you know, one was this emphasis on scale. Mm -hmm. which seems to be the higher education challenge of our day, Mm -hmm. not just Mm -hmm. in in online learning, but just, you know, how Mm -hmm. do we support more students, provide more access? And Mm -hmm. so, scale, I think, is a very particular challenge that she's addressed, just because Texas A&M is such a giant school. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, um, how to apply some of the lessons that are more universal to even schools that don't focus as much on scale. Mm -hmm. And I thought that she was very thoughtful about, about how those those two areas are kind of two sides
0: of the same coin in mm-hmm. many ways. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I thought it was great that she kind of gave attention to what we might frame as less resourced institutions, right? And the whole idea of like, well, you, you know, you lean into uh, relationships with faculty and you go through like the Faculty Senate and, and existing structures and you, you, um, you try to leverage student workers and, and make that a co-curricular thing. And I thought those were good, good ideas ideas Um, i also just for the sake of saying this i thought you know while there were a number of things we could pull the thread on in terms of your what next question i loved that where you both ended it was sort of a reminder of more perennial principles of like the importance of faculty preparation uh, in digital education and the importance of remembering to center on student access and student success those are great
1: yeah, kind of anchoring back on the student. I think you can never go wrong, right? Um, no matter what your mission is, how you're resourced, um, it's all about it's all about the students and their success. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought that that was that was a good way
0: to end it as well.
1: So, yeah, so Jocelyn, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the podcast. We really do appreciate it.
0: You want to try to put us on
1: the ground? Sure. Um, I you know I think um, that that you and I would both agree, there are always leadership challenges in the field of online and digital education. I mean, it seems like every day there's a new one. Um, But dialogue between administrative leaders and surfacing effective practices can help the field move forward. I mean, we only get better by talking to each other. And and this is a great community. If you're Mm -hmm. listening to this and you're new to the world of online learning, welcome. Because this is a very open, accepting uh, sharing community, and uh, all you have to do is just put yourself out there, and you're
0: going to get all kinds of help. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I agree with that. Well, Tom, uh, looking forward to the next time we can share a in, an in person uh, cup of coffee, but because uh, I'd happily pour one for you. But until next time for Topcast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.